Hi, I'm your host, Brittany Spence, and this is In the Face of Illness. We are a podcast committed to cultivating a greater understanding of the many resources available for families facing childhood illness, because we believe this is a vital topic of conversation, not only for families in the throes of the fight, but for everyone. Ultimately, we are here to offer hope in the face of illness. Anne Barron received a Bachelor of Science degree in nursing from the University of Mississippi. She began her nursing career in the special care unit at Labonner Children's Hospital, which is now known as the NICU and Infant Toddler Unit. Anne later joined the NICU team at Methodist Labonner Germantown Hospital in 2011. She's been married for 19 years and lives in Germantown with their 17-year-old son and three dogs. When she's not working, she loves to travel and enjoy a concert with her son. Anne, thanks for joining us today. We are um, happy to have you on. Thanks for giving us your time. Um, and we're excited to learn a little bit more about your role and um, about the work in the NICU at LeBonner Germantown Methodist. Well, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. All right. So tell us a little bit about um, your role out there. I am a bedside nurse in the NICU at Germantown. I um, take care of babies as young as 23 weeks to pass their due dates. Um, I'm sometimes in charge, um, meaning we go on deliveries, we stabilize the patients. Um, I also precept some of the newer nurses, but I just take care of the babies in the NICU. And how big is y'all's unit? We hold 35 but we can go up to 43. Okay. Um, we have an overflow unit now called the NCC. Okay. Um, but we... And what does NCC stand for? Um, neonatal Continuing Care Unit. Okay. And that's kind of where our patients, they're really close to going home. We can transition them up there to create more room for the sicker patients. Okay. Okay. Um, so... I don't know if you know, we had two babies go through y'all's NICU. Um, so Forrest was there 12 hours mm-hmm. um, and obviously was sent out very, very quickly. Um, and then fast forward one year and 15 days later, we had another baby and um, Austin. And he was in the room with us and he started, um, I nursed him and then I handed to him to my husband who at this point, my husband was now a third year resident. Um, and so I handed him to my husband to burp and change the diaper. And he kind of looks at him and it's like, I think he's breathing fast. And of course, I mean, I have terrible PTSD from all that we've just gone through. And I was like, no, he's not. He's good. And he's like, no, I, I really do think he's breathing fast. And so calls in the nurse you know, she looks at him, she lays him down. She's like, you're right. He is breathing fast. You know, then they call in NICU and the next thing you know, he's, he's being admitted to the, to the NICU. Um, and they could not rule out, um, pneumonia. He definitely had some darkness in the lungs. Honestly, they think it was probably transient to kidney of a newborn, mm-hmm. you know, only delivering him a year and 15 days apart. It was, you know, I barely pushed and he just came flying out. And so they thought he potentially just had fluid on his lungs. Mm-hmm. Um, but back then, y'all were the old hospital. And yes. so we could not stay yes. with him. And so we would, um, thankfully, I, I did deliver in Vagiline. So I was supposed to only have two days, but I had some health things too. So I was able to stay three nights. So be very close to him. Um, and we still laughed too when I was being discharged. 
you know, they had to wheel me to the front entrance, even though I had been walking from my room to Austin (laughs) numerous times. So they roll me to the front entrance and I just stand up and turn around and walk back to the NICU and was like, thanks for the lift. Um, And so, but my husband and I would go, um, we went and stayed at his parents for only five minutes from Germantown Methodist because I was adamant that I would be there every three hours to nurse him. Um, But the, the way that we were treated, the way that we were loved, it was just... It was beautiful. I mean, it really was because obviously we were traumatized after what we had just gone through with Forrest because really what we'd gone through with Forrest, we hadn't really experienced Jail's NICU um, because he was only there. He probably went in at, I don't know, five or six. He was delivered at 5 p.m., was probably in at six and he was gone by 5 a.m. the next morning. So, you know, we got to sit with him and we have pictures of us looking over Forrest in the um bed but not a lot of interacting with the staff Mm -hmm. but then a year later we interacted a lot and um i just remember y'all's neonatologists and nurse practitioners and um just being so encouraging to Mm -hmm. me to to nurse Mm -hmm. to be very active in his care um you know and just calming my nerves too Mm -hmm. but i know now fast forward y'all built since then mm-hmm. parents can mm-hmm. stay right by yes, the bedside yes. does every bed have the ability to stay by the bedside yes like every room they're all private okay. um we have a quad room and a triplet room wow and then multiple twin rooms um luckily knock on all the wood we have not had quads okay so um that room we will kind of put more patients in and we don't have a lot of triplets but we do get triplets Mm -hmm. um so that room we can kind of um move around um our high security patients get the private rooms first okay mainly because the equipment and everything else that goes in there Mm -hmm. but um we will every now and then when we are just stretched to the max have to double bunk we try very hard not to okay but um we have private rooms and they can stay and for our parents that are out of town Mm -hmm and really need to, we will rearrange and do whatever we can to get them in there and get them to be able to stay in our higher acuity patients and all of that. The thing is with the NICU, I think people forget is they could be in there for months Mm -hmm. too. Mm -hmm. So it's ideal that the parents get to stay, but a lot of them have to return to work or school or whatever else they have going on in their life. So while they can stay, we don't have a lot that stay like all week. They might come on the weekend. And then the ones that have other children at home, they need you too. Mm -hmm. So they need to be at home and they'll come back on the weekend and stuff like that. So we have the ability to kind of rearrange and do what we need to do to get them there. But for those poor families that are there weeks and months on end, they've gone back to work. So we kind of use that to kind of help guide us to with where we need to move patients and all of that but and explain to because i think this is important to know um that you know when would you transfer a baby from germantown methodist to labonner 
Mostly just surgery. Yeah. Okay. Um, we are a level three NICU, meaning we do not do to surgeries and we do not do ECMO, but we do everything else. So the 23-weeker, we manage all of that care. Now, they may go to Le Bonner for a quick heart surgery and come back, mm-hmm. but we get them post-surgery. Okay. Um, then anybody that would need just a much higher level of care like ECMO or something like that, our gastroschisis patients, all of that will go to Le Bonner and they will stay because okay. they will need to be followed by surgery. Okay. But we handle everything else and we now get patients, Le Bonner is so busy, I know you know that. Mm-hmm. We will now get patients that would normally go to Le Bonner if we have bed space. So okay. those babies from Tupelo, Jackson, Mississippi. Meaning they even delivered there. They didn't deliver at y'all. Well, they did not deliver to us. Wow. They okay. would come from, um, we have Little Rock, Clarksville, Tupelo, smaller towns in Arkansas that I've never even heard of. Yeah. We will get them instead of them being routed to Le Bonner. And then we get the patients from Methodist German, I mean Methodist South and Methodist Olive Branch. Okay. As well. Okay. So any of those patients that need a higher level of care will come to us. So Methodist North has a NICU, correct? No, it closed. Okay. So it closed. y'all are the only of the Methodist South, Methodist North, Methodist Olive Branch. Y'all are the only one that has a NICU? So Olive Branch and South have a NICU. But okay. if they need a higher level of care, oxygen, long-term antibiotics, okay. if they're an opiate-exposed newborn, any of that, they will come to us. Okay. So would you consider those other ones, would that be, what would that level be then? Your South, if they have a NICU. Level two. Okay. I think they're considered a level two. Okay. So, so. they're level two. So if a baby is considered level three, they would come to mm-hmm. y'all. Mm-hmm. So, because I've always known with the NICU, the rule of thumb is the baby doesn't go home, right? Has to go from hospital to hospital. Like if your baby was born went home and and then was sick, they typically aren't readmitted to no. a NICU. No. They would then be admitted to a PICU or mm-hmm. something like that. Yes. Okay, so yours that are coming from other hospitals have been born, maybe that hospital can't handle what's yes. going on or they're too full or whatever else or Lebanon's too full and then they'll come to y'all. Yes, and PD mm-hmm. Flight brings them to us. Okay, okay. Yeah, I didn't I didn't realize that. Um and then with the subspecialist as well. So, um like I know even with Forrest, um like when the neonatologist came in to tell us, you know, how sick Forrest was, I remember him saying, you know, we have I think it's group B strep. This is what we think it is. I do have but hang tight. I do have a cardiologist coming. Mm-hmm. So is it one of those when, um, you know, the child, the baby is got something you you call in the subspecialist because you share that with Lebon or tell me about that part of like a cardiologist, pediatric cardiologist or pediatric nephrologist or whatever. Do they come in to, you know, take a look at the babies? Yes. So, for instance, um. Some of our patients that we know have a heart condition, that's the beauty of being in a delivering hospital. Usually they have seen a cardiologist from Le Bonner Mm -hmm. while mom was pregnant. So they notify us before the baby's even born, hey, this baby is in the community. Mm -hmm. Be aware. And then when the OB schedules the delivery, we know. And so we know the plan that the Le Bonner cardiologists want. We know exactly what to do. We know if we need to transfer or not transfer Everything we need to do, how to get it stabilized if we're sending it 
or plan of care for keeping it. If we don't have that luxury and it's a baby born with something like a PDA, yeah. the Levoner Echo Techs come out. They will do the echo. Cardiology okay. reads it. They can recommend the plan. We will try other things, okay. um, medicines like Indocin, mm-hmm. to try to close that PDA. If it doesn't work, they go to Levoner, get the okay. coil, and come back. Okay. But specialties like pulmonology, endocrinology, nephrology, all of that will come out, see the patients. They have access to the chart okay. and to our team to talk to and come up with a plan. And some okay. of it will be transfer if, like, surgery is needed or mm-hmm. a higher treatment. But if not, we manage it with them part of the care team. Okay. And how many neonatologists do you have now? Oh, goodness. So we have Dr. Anna Slagle. We have Dr. Paul Malloy, Dr. Joy Goodwin-Sampson, and Dr. Katie Alexander. Okay. So you have four. Four neonatologists now. And back when we were in, it was just two, and they would kind of do my understanding of like either a week on or two weeks on. So like who we had at Forest... In 2007, I never saw Mm -hmm. that whole time I was in with Austin. We had Mm -hmm. a a lady when we were there with Austin. So is that still kind of how it's done as well? It is. They rotate. But I feel like as our patients have gotten, we've gotten busier, we've gotten bigger. Um, Our patients are getting sicker. Mm -hmm. We're able to take care of sicker babies. I feel like their presence is there more. Okay. Um, I also feel like um, since our patients stay longer now, there's more of attachment there with the whole team. I feel like everyone from Mm -hmm. even our environmental services to our nutritionists, you know, I feel like everyone gets attached to the patients. So like the other day, um, Dr. Malloy was not on, but he peeked into my patient's room to Mm -hmm. check on the family, you know, and you just see them in the hallway. I feel like they're a lot more... Yeah. visible and there before because there's so many. And I think they're just such a fluid team mm-hmm. that they talk a lot about the care and they stay involved. And so even if their week is over or their two weeks is over, I feel like they're texting each other, they're yeah. talking, they're running by and checking on our patients. So, And do y'all do where you have a primary nurse? We don't. Okay. We have talked about it um, a lot, trying to figure out, because I the unit I came from did primary nursing, yeah. um, and we have talked about it a lot. It is kind of hard, though, the way that the unit is set up with the pods and the private rooms and all of that, mm-hmm. with acuity okay. and changing and all of that. We do, though, if there's really a connection there mm-hmm. with that family or, you know, the mom just really needs the same face every day yeah we we try we try to do that and you know most of us I would say probably over half of us kind of work our shifts in a row okay and so if you're back if you work Monday Tuesday Wednesday then that Monday Tuesday Wednesday you're going to get your same assignment unless just you know everything has happened but that's the plan because I think that's probably one of the things that most people don't realize about a NICU. You're taking care of a baby, mm-hmm. but you're also talking about a family whose world's just turned upside right. down. It doesn't right. matter what age the baby is. You expected to go home. You mm-hmm. had baby showers. You expected mm-hmm. a term baby. So this is not your plan. Yeah. And then you throw in postpartum hormones mm-hmm. and everything else. And it's 
a whole different ball game. Yeah. You have all the emotions. And so, yes, your baby needs consistent plan of care. They need that. Someone that can look at your baby and say something's different today. I don't know what it is, but something's different. But your mama needs someone mm-hmm. that they can vent to, someone they can chat with, someone they can relax with, too. Yeah. Tell me about some of um, kind of the um, other support systems that you have in place. So when you talk about that, obviously mothers dealing with, you know, the hormones mm-hmm. and some mental health, different things. What are some things that that Methodist Germantown is also able to offer for those families? Well, we have um, the most amazing social worker mm-hmm. in the entire world. Um, and she frequently talks to them. What do you need? This is what's in the community, all of that. Um, and then she makes a lot of referrals and that kind of stuff. We have amazing chaplains. Um, they come to our rounds, check in with our patients, kind of see what they need to do. And go from there. There's also, I did not realize how much it meant to our parents until my mom was telling me about it. There's a preemie support group on Facebook, mm-hmm. which I never really would have thought of, that was started by one of our NICU graduates' mothers. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them belong to that. And they talk to each other and meet up. Even there's a group of them that meet and talk and all of that. And yeah. then... um we work really well with Cheryl, our social worker, as well. If we just kind of start seeing something, something's mm-hmm. not right, something's wrong, we kind of sit down and figure out what do we need to do, who do we need to refer her yeah. to. Yeah. So. And are y'all finding now as COVID is kind of, you know, not at the forefront of everybody's mind, are you starting to see, you know, the moms and the dads interact a little more? you know, talk or share or um, I'm not sure if y'all even have a space where they like a kitchen or an area or anything. But I know that was a pre-COVID at Le Bonheur when we would do host our dinners, especially um, once a month or breakfast. We would notice that the NICU moms would come down and they would sit at a table together and they the crafts that we had for patients and siblings, they would often do. And they would because, as you said, these are these are families um, that feel like they can step away, you mm-hmm. know, a little longer because mm-hmm. this is such, you know, this is a marathon, yes. not a sprint. And so for them, where some of our families, it's so critical, they just come and get a meal to go and leave. Mm-hmm. But we found our NICU moms, they need a break. I mean, they've been doing this for weeks, months, whatever. Um, and that was such a hard thing during COVID is to lose that you know, seeing and talking to so-and-so's mom and so-and-so's mom and having this. And so it's one thing we're trying to build again with us doing our our dinners in person and our breakfast in person, build that, come and sit and talk. Because there's something in that I'm not alone. The me mm-hmm. too. I I feel that too, whether it's the 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 guilt of I can't be here full time because I have other children or if I don't go to work, I've I've used all my you know, saved up days mm-hmm. and the struggles. Have you all found that something that's kind of starting again? I Our younger mothers mm-hmm. um, seem to make a connection, but not necessarily spending time together, but they will text each other. Okay. You can kind of see them chatting. Our older, older mothers, they um, chit-chat at the doorway of the room. Mm-hmm. They'll walk out or I'm running to the cafeteria. 
Um, you want to go with me? That yeah. kind of stuff. They they chat more. And then I see the dads. It's so funny. It's like their connection starts at the scrub sink. Yeah. <laughs> and they talk yeah. about a football game uh-huh. or something like that, starting yeah. at the scrub sink. And then they kind of walk to the waiting room together and they'll sit and talk. So um, the dads kind of crack me up there because I don't think that they ever really talk about what's going on. Yeah. It's it's all, you know, the like, other things, the other things yeah. in life. But the moms are like, you know, I couldn't help but hear last night. He took a bottle, yeah. you know, that kind of stuff. They yeah. celebrate kind of together. Yeah. And it's a yeah. it's a great little connection that yeah. they have. Um, they'll hang out in the waiting room, but I hear more. Do you want to walk to the cafeteria yeah. or we're going to Starbucks? Do you need anything? Yeah. You want to go? Um, and then the dad's kind of start at the scrub sink and slowly yeah. move on yeah. to the waiting room. To yeah. Talk. Um, I feel like that's, you know, that's something, um, one of my PICU nurses, uh, I'll never forget was like, I need you to put blinders on. You're, you're having, you're looking around so much at all mm-hmm. the pain and all the things that are happening that it's, it's consuming you. And I, I feel like in that moment, I was like, all right, I'll put them on, but they're going to be wide open. Like, yeah, I'm still going to see it. I still am going to see it. I mean, especially the PICU back then was a 20-bed wide-open unit. Mm-hmm. And so you could not not see the 4-year-old next to you or the 16-year-old mm-hmm. or, or whatever else. But I I saw what she meant of I can't take on their pain plus my own pain. Mm-hmm. I can't, you know, but I also think by having those blinders open is really a huge part of why the Forcement's Fund started yeah. because it wasn't just our pain. It wasn't just our struggle. It was the struggles that we saw of all these families mm-hmm. in the unit. Um, and even though I would have loved to have a private room and could have, you know, stayed with Forrest, there were some gifts to that wide open space of one, it forced me to go home every night. There was nowhere yeah. I could sleep next to him. Um, and two, I was able to see the magnitude of the of the brokenness mm-hmm. and the the pain and what families were going through where I think if I had been that private room, it would just would have been a little harder to see. You would have still seen the waiting room. You would have still seen the cafeteria. Mm-hmm. You know, I tell people now, one of the things that happened um, is that I see pain more than ever. I mean, walking down streets and walking mm-hmm. down roads, I see pain on people's faces and I know there's something and I have to make that decision of can I handle asking them mm-hmm. or not? You know, can I say, hey, I feel like you're not doing okay. Um, but it's hard to not see that at the hospital mm-hmm. um, and know even based upon um, walking by a room, have they opened the blinds today? Have they turned on the overhead lights? Have they turned their bed back into a couch? And if if the bed is still, if the couch is still made as a bed and the, the curtains are down and the lights are off, probably wasn't a great night. It probably wasn't a great day. You know, you can you can read some of that stuff. And I think parents feel that. Oh, yes. um, and there's definitely this part, too, where, um, you know, you're cheering them on because it gives you hope. You know, mm-hmm. okay, this 24-weeker is finally taking a bottle or got off BiPAP and is now on oxygen mm-hmm. or, you know, finally got to be held, like maybe that's something that we have um, going for us as well. And so I think there is good and bad in that of looking at others, but that's just who we are. I mean, it's oh, yeah. natural to be that way, but I know it's 
hard with HIPAA and, is it, oh. you know, because families want to say, like, is everything okay? Like, why are there so many people around that room? Mm-hmm. You know, because you notice those things, yeah. like why they're blind, you know, what, the big things up, curtain things up, mm-hmm. why, what's going on. Um, and I know with, with staff, but, you know, I think nurses need to know, we know more than you think we know just okay. by being observant and yes. watching the difference and the feel and the look. And because we're putting so much stock in, especially in y'all situation, the PICU was different just in the way of force was one of the only true newborns mm-hmm. at that time in there. But in a NICU situation, you're all, you know, it's mm-hmm. very similar situations, whether it's a preemie or not. Um, and so you're putting a lot of stock into cheering them on and hoping they do well because of what the hope it gives you. Um, well, tell me a little bit about what you would want a caregiver to know about y'all, y- your job, but the role of a bedside nurse. What's something that you would want them to know? I, th- I think we touched on it just a little while ago, too. Um, we are we are there for your baby. That is most certainly our focus. I think anyone that has ever come into even a children's hospital, but especially a NICU, will learn very quickly as an outsider that those are our children. Mm-hmm. It is, yes, it's your child. I understand you gave birth. But for that 12-hour shift, that is my kid. Mm-hmm. There's probably a picture of your kid on my refrigerator mm-hmm. by now. Um, so we are there. We are there. We want to celebrate the milestones with you. We want to be a part of all of it. We feel the bad days, too. It's different, but we feel the bad days. Mm-hmm. Um we take it home, we cry, we grieve, but we also worry about you as parents, mm-hmm. and we want you to know that. We want you to know that we're not saying go home and go to sleep because we don't want you in there. Yeah. We want you to go home and go to bed for a little bit. We're worried. Or when we tell you kind of in a joking manner, go on a date. You have a very expensive babysitter. Mm-hmm. What we're saying is you're looking tired. Yeah. There's a distance between the two of you. Go hold hands for a little bit, watch a movie, go to dinner because you've forgotten each other for a little bit and you need to be together for a little bit. So you have on the second that your baby is born and you come to the NICU, you are now part of our family Mm -hmm. and we are going to be there. Good days, bad days. In between days, we're going to be making footprints. We're going to be dressing your kid up for the holidays <laughs> and everything else. We've written stupid songs about them that we mm-hmm. sing off key because they are mm-hmm. our children. And we need you to know that and let us love them, but love you too. Yeah. And I don't think that a lot of people with changes in healthcare realize that. Um, I think COVID changed a lot about mm-hmm. how people thought of nursing. I think we went from heroes to not so much mm-hmm. heroes after COVID because, you know, public opinion changed and everything. But I think one one thing that always shined during COVID, especially in the NICU, was how attached we were to those mm-hmm. babies. Yeah, grandma couldn't come, but Phil and grandma mm-hmm. was here. Phil and aunt was here. We're going to take the pictures. We're going to send them. We're going to FaceTime. We're going to do what we've got to do. But we're also there when you need to vent or cry or... Mm-hmm. have a bad day and it's okay to not be okay and to please tell us yeah that's that you're not okay yeah you I, I would strongly say they can only help you as much as you let them help mm-hmm. you so if you're trying to hold it all in and not 
show that you're struggling mm-hmm. or be the strong one, they're not going to know. They're going to read mm-hmm. it on you. Yeah. But until you actually use your words to say, I'm struggling, mm-hmm. whether it be the financial aspect mm-hmm. of my rent, my utilities, my whatever. And so community support can help like mm-hmm. us or other nonprofits. Or, you know, I'd like to talk to someone so mm-hmm. the chaplain can come in or a mental health specialist mm-hmm. can come in or I really think we need counseling, you know, mm-hmm. or how do I tell my other children mm-hmm. what's going on? Mm-hmm. What are some things I should do? You know, mm-hmm. should I FaceTime when the baby looks like this or should mm-hmm. we wait? You know, a lot of those things are the unknowns and y'all have done it so many times mm-hmm. and you've seen the successes and you've seen the things that haven't gone as well that you can offer that to say, okay, this is, yeah, we have seen that. When the baby has all of these things attached to it, it's maybe not best time to FaceTime the sibling. You know, mm-hmm. let's instead draw a picture or let's do something else or let's take home a, a footprint yes. heart or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then then let's get to a point where we could FaceTime or, mm-hmm. um, you know, involve those different aspects. But I, I feel strongly about saying you can only get help if you Ask for it. Ask for it. Mm-hmm. Or you just are open and honest with mm-hmm. what's going on. People want to help. And and I would even say outside of the NICU, your friends and family, community support don't know how to help you. Mm-hmm. And they're dying to help you. Mm-hmm. And it is a blessing yes. to them to help you. Yes. It is not a burden. It is a blessing. And so let them help you. Let yes. them take the help. You know, clean your house, stock your fridge, do your leaves, walk your dog. And I mean, I have people 16 years later still tell me about walking my dog and how she was so strong. She pulled them down the driveway and they felt like they were skating. You know, I mean, yeah. they still talk about the what was little to them, but was so huge to me mm-hmm. because my dog was my child until I had a child. Yes. And so yes. worrying about that dog, I, I didn't have to while we're in the because mm-hmm. other people did it. Um, and it's something that will forever stay with me. Um, OK, how do y'all tell us about how y'all collaborate with the Forest Spence Fund to provide the most support for families? We have asked y'all for a lot. <laughs> um, the snack bags. Um, at the holidays especially, um, means so much to our parents. And we absolutely love when you all bring those. And um, a lot of the bags all have a journal in there. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the best things. Um, when you're emotional, you think of a question. And then by the time someone comes in there, your question's gone. Yeah. So writing that down. And then um, Y'all even remember to put a pen in there. It's absolutely amazing. But the parents just write like day-to-day changes, and it's so fun to watch them in there. Um, I know we were talking about help and finances and all that. It was several years ago, but we had a mom that just was really, really, really struggling, and we were trying to figure out how to get everything that she needed. And you guys just stepped up and were like, we've got the car seat covered. I'm bringing it to B's office. Worked out amazing. But recently, our patient population is getting older, Mm -hmm. Um, a lot older, 209-day stay type of older. And developmentally, we don't have child life. It's Mm -hmm. us. It's the nurses and physical therapy and speech therapy. And we just didn't have a lot for those older kids. And we sat down with Elena, our speech therapist, and Kara and Laura from physical therapy and B, and we talked and Amazon shopped and looked. And then reached out to you all. Could y'all help? And now we have some of the most amazing 
toys and gadgets and mobiles and strollers and everything for those kids. Mm-hmm. Um, just this past week, I was y'all got this um, really neat mat for us. And um, I was on the floor with one of our older kids with all these toys. And she was cooing mm-hmm. and smiling and laughing. And I was like, one a thousand more of these mats. Mm-hmm. I just want to put all the babies on the mats and play. Um, but being able to let the parents get down and interact with their mm-hmm. kids like that is a whole other level of hope, too, because they start hitting those milestones and you start seeing this is going to be okay. She grabbed a rattle today or yeah. she's cooing in the mirror at herself. At herself. Y'all helped provide that. Mm-hmm. And then on the opposite end, um, the opiate addiction, um, it's truly becoming a crisis in our area. And we are seeing more and more infants exposed Mm -hmm. and um the gift bags that y'all have brought us the backpacks that y'all have brought us that have the sound machines and Mm -hmm. the swaddle blankets and the weighted um onesies and all of that have helped us tremendously and i wish that we didn't have to ask you Mm -hmm. for those but we do and they have been a godsend Mm -hmm. for those babies i had no idea how much a weighted onesie and a sound machine could help a child that was so sensory overloaded. And yeah. it's just amazing. Um, but every time that we've needed anything, we've reached out and you all have found a way to make it work. And it helps the families. It helps the nurses. It helps the babies. But it also helps us make a connection with all of them as well. We're able to say, hey, mom, do you want to get him up in the chair today? Do you want to get him on the mat today? And it just changes our interactions with the parents. Okay, let's talk a little bit about, um, I know this is even hard to touch on, but reality is um, not every baby, you know, ends up, I mean, my own story, obviously, not every baby um, comes home from the hospital. So um, some ways that we support those families, because obviously grief is a huge part of um my story and and my healing. Um, when my husband and I started the Four Spence Fund, one of the very first things we wanted to be able to offer was counseling to families. Um, when Forrest died, I was on staff at a church here in Memphis. Um, I was doing youth ministry, and my church very quickly realized she's going to be no no use to us, especially doing ministry to middle and high school students if she doesn't have someone pouring into her and helping her deal with her grief. And so they paid for my counseling Um, and being a youth minister and my husband being a residency, we could have never afforded counseling. We were struggling just to even pay the remaining medical bills and all the the stuff it cost to, to bury him, honestly, Mm -hmm. um, much less our day-to-day bills. So it was such a gift. So that was something very early on we said. And so we support families um, who have lost a child by sending them to counselors in the community. So we work with probably, I mean, I don't even know how many counselors are on our list, probably 30 to 40 throughout the Mid-South, because we also realize that there's families in Tupelo, in Arkansas, all over Mississippi, um, we have quite a few in Memphis, all the way from downtown, all the way to Collierville. Um, and so how that works is a family is referred to us often from chaplain, um, palliative care, um, social work, but they are referred to us. We do have families who reach out directly to us, and then we just work with the hospital that they were at or 
Um, if it's a stillborn situation, we'll work with that hospital as well. So they're referred to us. They come in. On that referral form is, would you like to receive counseling close to home or close to the hospital? Because we also help families who have children in the hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from there, we kind of look at the situation. Is it siblings? Is it just mom? Is it dad? Who is it? And then we pair them with counselors in the city. So we then... Uh, refer them to the counselor, and then we can pay six visits. And if everything's going well, we'll pay for six more. Um, And so the family never sees a bill um, for that. With our new space here that we are in in Midtown, um, one of the reasons that we bought this space is because in our back house, we've turned that into a counseling, the Forcement Fund Counseling and Community Center. And that is now where we are offering support groups. And so once a month, we just started. Our first one we launched is the Moms Bereavement Support Group. Um, I lead that as the facilitator. We have moms um, from uh, one mom that's been coming, lost her son 20 years ago, down to uh, we had one come that, that lost her daughter four months ago. So a wide variety, and it's just a time for us to meet and talk and share. And um, one of the moms that came this last in November, um, our son had been uh, gone for seven months and she really just needed us to say, you're going to survive. You're going to survive. I'm 16 years out. Uh, One of the moms was nine years out. One of the moms was seven years out. One of the moms was 20 years out. And we could all say, we, we still cry and we're still sad. And it still feels like there's a huge part of my family missing every day of every moment, but I have joy and I have happiness and um, and I, my marriage is still intact. We've been married 20 years and um, my I have other children who know their brother, even though they never met him. And so, um, you know, hopefully some tangible things um, in December, we're actually doing where we are honoring our children, where the fund is providing um, a way to honor our children. And then we're also doing something to bless a newly bereaved mom. Um, we're writing cards and, and putting a care bag, um, care basket together to let her know she's not alone. So that is once a month. And then in 2024, we are launching more support groups for dads, for siblings, for grandparents. Mm-hmm. Um, we're launching one for chronically and critically ill families who are at home. Um, and so that's really what that center is about. It's also for mentoring one-on-one. If a mom mm-hmm. wants to come and meet with me or, you know, meet with a counselor. Um, so we're really excited because we do see hospitals do such an amazing job when the child is in the hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, but when the child leaves, it's not, it's not the role of the hospital to continue. Mm-hmm. And that's, so hard to be able to do anyways y'all are so and so what we hope to do is to be able to say hey we're with you we're walking this journey with you because um and times are different now but 16 years ago there wasn't anyone who really reached out to me to say hey i've been here i've done this you know i say i was 27 first child and i knew no one who had a child as sick as mine and no one whose child had died And so I felt very, very alone, even though I had the most amazing family, friends, community support you could ever imagine. But there was nobody that said, hey, you're going to survive this. Mm -hmm. Even my counselor, he was amazing, 
but he never lost a child. And so, you know, I would have given anything for someone to say what we said to this mom Mm -hmm. of, hey, this is going to be hard. This is not an easy road, but like, you're going to be okay. And we're here for you. Um, so we we do offer, you know, any kind of support that we can. We are very aware that I'm not a counselor by trade. And so, um, you know, that that we're not going to stop doing counseling in any way. But we hope this is just another added thing that we can do to to support families. I had a mom tell me, I talked to me about this not too long ago, because I want the hospital to do more or the unit, I guess, to do more. But it completely broke me because she said that, um, you know, when she lost her son and went home empty handed, she said, not only did I go home empty handed, I left behind the only people that ever knew him oh, Yeah, Amen. because yeah. it was the staff yeah. that knew him. And yeah. I just thought about that. And yeah. I was like, yes, yeah. we, we were the only ones. Yeah. That knew him outside of that family, and that just broke me. Yeah. And I think about that, and I think all the time, you know, I I, I keep in touch with her. We're, we're very close, but I just think about all the others that I did that didn't say that to me, and yeah. I wish that I had known that. And um, so I really do want to find a way, you know, a year from now to reach out and say we we still think about you. Yeah. We still yeah remember your baby because. You know, it might have been a day that the baby was there, or it might have lived a few weeks, or you know. But and we one thought ones. y'all do the NICU graduate party. Mm-hmm. You know, one idea is to do a NICU remembrance. Mm-hmm. You know, once a year, bring those families because obviously those that have lost a child don't want to come to a NICU no, graduation party. But they would come to do a remembrance. And there are ways to do that where you can honor all faiths, values, mm-hmm. um, walks of life, because that's something we've really taken into consideration with what we're doing at, at the holidays is is being re- mindful of not everyone believes um, the same thing. And so I do think there's ways to do that. Um, and so I'd love to see y'all do that in 2024. I know Le does it hospital wise. I believe theirs um, is up to in the past three or five years. Um, you know, y'all may have to do your first one of anyone. Yeah. Um, and then after that, make it to where it's, you know, every three to five years. But I, I think and if families choose not to come. That's that's their yeah that's their choice. But if y'all are offering it, um, you know, as a way. But I do know that also takes keeping up with their you know what we're mm-hmm. dealing with. They move, they leave. Mm-hmm. Keeping up with their addresses or their email or being able to be able to reach out to them. But you can also only do so much. I mean, that's what mm-hmm. we're learning with this support group is. I can email them. We can send them a postcard. We can even we search through emails, trying to figure out why, is there one letter wrong, you know, um, but we're putting it and we're putting it on social media and we're putting it out there to let people know. Um, so I think y'all could do something to honor because in the end, what, what parents want 
is they don't they want their child to be remembered and not forgotten. They were here. And I think when you have a baby that only lives in the hospital and many, many people never got to see them or hold them or touch them. I mean, for Forrest, only David and I ever held him. None of the grandparents, no one ever held him. They saw him and they met him and many of our dear friends and family. Um, but it's that they want them to be remembered. And so if there's something, you know, where they could even bring the other siblings or whatever. So I do, I mean, in, in any way that we can support you to help you come up with that, we'd be happy to do that. Um it is well. so needed. It is yeah, so needed. For sure. Is there anything else you think that we should know before we, we sign off? You know, Brittany, let me jump in. Um, B, you said we do a remembrance ceremony. Do you want to give just a little, I don't know if Anne's familiar. Do you want to give like a little, so that Brittany knows? Yes. In October of each year, we do have an annual remembrance service, and it's a designated day annually. Okay. Um, and so we, we do, do a partnership with that organization, right, B? Um, or do y'all do it on your own? We do it on our own. Okay, never mind. Okay. Expert um, yeah, and we do have several moms uh, attend. Okay. Okay. It, great. I would love for it to grow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's just a handful of moms, and we do reach out to all of our former moms and dads, and you know we send them invitations. So we could definitely partner with you guys yeah. to. And would you say that was April? October. October. And B, I think we could do a better job posting about it on social media if that's appropriate on our Methodist channels. We, we do I don't that know on we Facebook. That. Okay. Um, but definitely work with yeah. you mm-hmm. a little more. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Good. Mm-hmm. Good. Yeah. I didn't realize that either. I'm glad you yeah. said that. Well, and I think the nurses can step up too because I feel like most of us still talk to a lot of these families and just encourage them because they may not know. Mm-hmm. That may not be something that they're... What I think for and thinking about what I think, too, I mean, in my experience with mentoring families and um, it's a real blessing for I think what a blessing it would be to the nurses to also go to be able to be like, okay, I was so worried about so and so, you know, when when the child passed and and they're okay. Like Mm -hmm. I think. And so if if the nurses encourage them to go and say, I'm going to be there, Mm -hmm. I'd love to see you and meet your other children or, um, you know, whatever else, I think that would encourage them to go for sure. Um, Well, thank you for spending time with us and telling us about the great work that's happening at uh, Methodist Germantown Laban or NICU. Um, I obviously have a a very, um, you know, just two different experiences in 2007 and in 2008. I was so thankful in 2010 that I rolled out with a healthy <laughs> baby and didn't didn't touch y'all's NICU in 2010 or 2012. Um, but um, I'm thankful that it's here. I'm thankful that um, y'all can support our tiniest little babies. And, um, and we laughed because Austin, I think Austin was uh, maybe seven pounds, eight ounces, seven pounds, seven ounces, something like that. And he looked like a giant. In that oh gosh, yes. You know, compared, yes. <laughs> um, looking around, we're like, man, he he a big old baby compared to a lot of these other babies in here. Um, but y'all were amazing with him and really, truly amazing with me, you know, calming my nerves and um, and encouraging me because it was very important to me that I breastfed him um, and that I was super active in the role. And um, and they were they were great with us, you know, coming around the clock mm-hmm. as much as we came. So um, and celebrated with us when, um, you know, when we finally got to take him home because that was our first baby to ever take home. 
But thank you for everything y'all do. Thank you for being what you are in our community and um, supporting the entire family. We appreciate it. Well, thank you for helping us support our families. And thank you for having me today. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to our latest episode. We hope that this podcast is a resource for you and a source of support. Whether you are facing illness in your own family or want to walk beside other families dealing with childhood illness, we want the stories, wisdom, and knowledge shared to give you hope. Episodes will be released bi-weekly, so be sure to subscribe today.